0: So this morning, as we uh, get started, we are still in the book of Romans, and it's something that we've been uh, walking through here. If you believe it or not, we are in our... Uh, second month. We, we started in September and uh, we're, we've turned the calendar over to October now. The weather is just now beginning to, uh, to feel like maybe we've done that for real. And, uh, and so we've been sitting here in the book of Romans and today we are in chapter 7. And so as we've been kind of talking about this we're going to dive in. Um, but uh, we've been exploring this and hopefully you've been reading along with us as we've been taking a look at Paul, who is the author, Paul's letter to the people in Rome. I want to ask you a question, and uh, and as we jump in and get started today, I want to ask you if you have ever done something that you knew that you shouldn't do. Alright, it's up on the screen. Have you ever done something that you knew that you shouldn't do? Well, this question is really at the heart of Paul's Chapter seven, if you will. A couple of weeks ago I had an opportunity to do a podcast and most of you are probably familiar with that is. It's kind of like a radio program, but it's just put out over the internet and so uh there's a good friend of mine, Merle Hutchinson, and he does a podcast called Strong Dads Podcast. And so he invited me to come and we were just going to talk about family and, and what it's like to be the dad of four. And, uh, and so we just, we just had this long dialogue. Well, when I went to record the show, he has a co-host. And so as Merle's introducing me to the co-host... He's kind of ribbing me a little bit, you know, and they're talking about how we first met. And uh, Merle brings up this story. It wasn't on the podcast, but it was a he- It was beforehand. He brings up this story to his co-host and says that one of his earliest memories of me is that I was in his biology class. He was one of my teachers, and he talks about and shares a story about how Merle called me to the front of his class one day because he had caught me cheating, And uh, that was a, uh, I can remember that day like it was yesterday. Um, I was not somebody who, I didn't feel like I cheated all the time. I was not a habitual cheater, but I came into a day where I wasn't prepared for a test, and uh, Merle caught me, uh, Mr. Hutchinson caught me from the front of the room looking at my neighbor's paper. And I was guilty. One of the things that struck me was that uh, since then, Merle and I have become really, really good friends. And we've done a lot of ministry together, done a lot of life together. But that's still one of the memories that he has of me. Me doing something that I knew that I shouldn't be doing. Those kind of things make a mark on us. And they are at the heart of what Paul talks about in our chapter today. This idea that that we constantly find ourselves doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing. And the things that we know that we should be doing when we struggle to do those things. Today, we don't want to just zero in on Romans chapter 7 without understanding where it fits into the rest of the letter that Paul has written. We've been talking about this as we kind of go, on, go through here, but Paul is writing a letter to a church in Rome, to, or to several house churches that are in Rome, and uh, this, these churches are made up of two very distinct people groups. We've got the Jewish Christians; These are people who would have grown up in the Jewish heritage. They are the people of Israel. They are God's chosen people as they see themselves. They are law-abiding citizens. And then you got the people who are Roman citizens. And these people would find themselves to be Gentiles. That means they grew up in pagan relationship, uh, pagan uh, families and uh, they, they worship multiple gods. But now they find themselves following Jesus alone. And so there is some conflict in between how they do that. What what does church look like? How do we live in unison? And so Paul has two really main reasons for writing this letter. Number one thing is he wants to clarify the gospel or the good news of Jesus. He wants to make it very, very clear for these people that find themselves in this church what it is exactly that makes us right with God. What is it that saves us? And so Paul wants to be really clear about that. So he wants to clarify the gospel. He also wants to bring unity to this church. One of Paul's teaching points, specifically to the Jewish Christians and Romans, is that the law that they follow has value. But this law is not the thing that saves them. And today, uh, we don't want to focus our attention very much on Old, uh, today, we don't, in, in general, focus our attention on Old Testament law. We don't measure our relationship with God based on how well we are at keeping the law. Uh, but we can still get drawn into the cycle of trying to earn our salvation. You've got to do this. I do it. Uh, how much am I praying? How much am I reading my Bible? How much am I showing up to church? And if we don't do those things, obviously we feel guilty about them. And, and we feel like that maybe God is upset with us, that somehow our, our ability to do these things affects our relationship with God and how he sees us. We, we live here in America in a deserve-it culture, an earn-it culture. You know what I'm talking about. In sports, you either deserve to start or you don't. And if some kid on your son's team is a coach's son and he's not that good, but he gets to start, man, that will burn you up. Because he doesn't earn it. He doesn't deserve it, right? You can just see with your eyes, you're like, he's not good enough. Why is he getting to play? In school, you either deserve an A or you don't. And if you work your butt off for an A, and you work really hard, and then somebody else doesn't work as hard, but they get grace, and somebody gives them an A, and they didn't earn it, man, that upsets you. That's not just. That's not fair. That's not right. At work, you either deserve a raise or promotion or you don't. And if somebody skips steps, somebody gets a job over you and you know they didn't work as hard as you, they didn't put in as many hours as you, they don't deserve it. And that, that, that bothers us. Because we want people to get what they deserve. It's hard for us to reconcile grace and mercy and forgiveness when we live in a culture that lifts up and elevates this idea of earn it. Because what Paul's going to lay out here in Romans chapter 7 is that if we get what we deserve, if we get what we earn, we're all in a lot of trouble. And so this is where Paul is at. So in, Paul, uh, in Romans chapter 7, starting with verse 7, Paul kind of lays out this idea. He says, "I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law he says the law 's fine the law 's not the problem he says i wouldn 't even know it, what right and wrong is if it wasn 't for the law. He says, The law has value, but it 's not the thing that saves us it 's not the thing that 's going to make us right with God because if you reflect your life compared to romans chapter 7. If you, if you compare your life compared to the law, you're going to fall short. So we enter into this section of scripture, and if you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to turn there to Romans chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 14 through 25, and this section is a lot of times called the I section of Romans, because Paul will refer to himself as I several times throughout the passage. Now, we don't uh, know specifically. What we read in it, if you just read it at surface level, is a very introspective section of Scripture where Paul talks about himself. Now, there's some scholars that debate and argue back and forth whether Paul is talking specifically about himself or if he's using a kind of writing liberty that was common in the time where a writer will take on a persona. And, uh, and the writer can write in such a way that he represents, he, he talks about himself, but when he's talking about himself, he's actually talking about a stereotype or mankind in general. And so whether Paul's talking specifically about himself, or whether he's talking about all of us, I think that we'll see that it's really clear that it applies to everyone. Because what Paul talks about here in Romans chapter 7... Specifically, starting with verses 14 through 25 applies to every single one of us. And we're going to see that as we dive in. So what I want to do, I just want to read it for you, and then as I read it, uh, after I'm done reading it just aloud, we're going to jump in and kind of go section by section and, and take a deeper look at it. So starting with verse 14, he says this: "We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good... Who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Why don't you go home and try reading that out loud, okay? So here we have we have this we have this huge picture that Paul paints. This introspection about the war that wages within us about good and evil. About the things that we want to do versus the things that we keep on doing. About the things that we hate to do, but the things that we find ourselves doing all the time. In Romans chapter 7 verse 14, if we just take a look at this first one, it says this. It says, we know that the law is spiritual. It means that God wrote the law. There's no problem with the law. But I am unspiritual. I am unable to keep it. He says, I am sold as a slave to sin. Now, if you've been with us from the beginning of this Roman series, when we started back in September, we took a look at Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul introduces himself to the church in Rome. And he calls himself, in that, he says, I am a slave to Christ. He says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. But here in chapter 7, as he's talking about himself, what's he say? He says, I'm not a slave to Christ. He says, really? In reality, I'm a slave to sin. And that, that's, that's a stark difference. He, he introduces himself about, about who he wants to be. Who he wants to be known for. He says, I am a slave to Jesus Christ. But in this moment of introspection, in this moment of brutal honesty, he says, in reality, I'm a slave to sin. And this is this deep contrast between who we want to be and who we really are. Now, I want you to understand, this can be a heavy book to read. It can, be, it can be confusing sometimes. It can be hard to understand. And this can be really defeating. Reading and looking at our own mistakes, how we don't measure up, how we're not good enough, how we can't follow the law, how we can't keep these things, and how we continue to fail. But I want you to hold with me. Because by the time we get to the end, we're going to read about the answer. We're going to read about the hope. We're going to read about the promise that is Jesus Christ. And that is where our true hope comes from. In verse 15, he continues on. He says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Man, that that is so us. Every one of us, right? He says, I don't understand it. I don't know about you, but I battle with this kind of mentality all the time. I don't understand what's going on. Uh, in, In my mind, I say, why are you so stupid? I don't know what you say to yourself. Paul says, I don't understand. I just don't get it. I know right from wrong. I know good from evil. I know what I want to do, and I know what I don't want to do. But somehow, some way, I find myself in that mess and in the midst of it, over and over again. And this is what Paul shares with us. I believe that Romans 7 18, towards the end of this verse, I, I believe that it, it, it could be a, it could have been. Written yesterday. I believe that it could be a journal entry. Take a look at what it says. It says, For I have the desire to do what is good. But I cannot carry it out. I believe that that could have been written in somebody's diary yesterday. That's one of the beautiful things about scripture. It is timeless. Right? It is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This was as real for Paul 2,000 years ago as it is for us today. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. That's you, and that's me, and it's every single one of us. Now, when I hear Paul's deep struggle with sin, his battle that uh, wages within him, it reminds me of the life of King David. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with King David. He's a, he's a king from the Old Testament. And uh, there's a line in Scripture that echoes this idea of doing what you don't want to do. Or not doing what you know that you should be doing. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, we get this picture of David's life. Let's take a look at what it says. It says, In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war... David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Since they destroyed the Amorites and besieged Reba. but David remained in Jerusalem. At a time in the spring when the kings are supposed to go out to war, where is David? He's at home. He is not where he's supposed to be. I don't know how many of you are experts in the Old Testament or how many of you are familiar with the story of David. Maybe you learned about it in Sunday school. but, But this right here, this passage, is in a chapter that contains a very famous story about the life of David. Anybody know what happens when David is supposed to be at war, but yet he remains home? This is the story of an affair, it's a story of murder. It's a story of a cover-up. This is the David and Bathsheba chapter. David is not where he's supposed to be. And because of it, he finds himself in sin. Later on, David is confronted with his sin. And he's broken and in realization of his failure. And David uses the book of Psalms as a place to express his pain David uses Psalm 51 as a place to cry out to God in the midst of this whole ordeal. And so Psalm 51 was written out of the midst of this David and Bathsheba mess. And I want to take you a look at some of the excerpts from this. And they, they remind me of the words of Paul. It says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow, David says. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is David's cry to God. He's like, look, I'm sinful. I can't. I can't do what is right. He says, but I need you, God. I need you to wash me and make me whiter than snow. He says, I need you to create a pure heart in me. Maybe you've sung these words before. Maybe you've heard these words before. David understood the battle that waged within him. And he wants to be made right. And he's looking for help. And he's looking for an answer to this problem. Paul also seeks help. He's looking for an answer to his problem. He says, look, I'm this mess. I can't do what I want to do. And I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. And so in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Paul cries out. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul's at his breaking point. He's at this place where he's like, man, I can't do this. You know, there's people that, I've been around a church long enough that that I believe that there's people that walk in each and every week. And they see everybody else around them, and there's this disbelief that the people that you see around you, they have it all together. That their marriages are great, that their kids behave, that, that, that work is fine for them. But we see other people when we project this idea that they're perfect. And it's us, right? That that are that are just dying inside, that are a mess, that are a wreck, and we're all alone in this. One of the reasons that Paul writes this is because there's this group of Christians in this church that feel like they're fine. They've got everything, they're doing everything right. And then they look at another group of Christians and they feel like they're not doing anything right. And what Paul's doing is he's writing this letter and he's trying to level the playing field. And he says, no, we're all broken. We're all lost. We're all miserable. None of us can do the things that we want to do. When it comes to following Jesus When it comes to following the law, we all come up short. So Paul's conclusion. What is it that I can do? Romans 7.25, he says this. He says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, look, there is hope for you. David writes in Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2, listen to what he says. He says, Lift, he says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When we're looking for an answer, when we're looking for a solution, when we're looking for the hope that we need in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our failure, our eyes should turn to God. And God has given us an answer in his son, Jesus Here's the truth. As a pastor, as a husband, as a father, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I hate, those are the things that I keep on doing. I know right from wrong. I know what's good. I know what's evil. But I'm broken and I'm sinful. And Paul says that all of us have sinned and fallen short. In a world of earn it, in a world of deserve it, I don't measure up. I can't pray enough. I can't read enough. I can't show up into this place enough to make up for the mistakes that I've made. So what's the answer? Where is the hope? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Paul's context, he's talking to a group of people who are desperately trying to earn their salvation And Paul reminds them that it's impossible. It's a burden too large to bear. Many of us carry the same burden today. We feel bound by our past and bound by our failures. Bound by our sin. It's too large and we can't seem to break free. We walk in these doors and we see everybody and we think that their lives are perfect and we think that we're failing and we carry around this guilt and we carry around this shame. It's like a giant backpack full of weights. And we just lug it around everywhere we go. And Paul says you've got to let it go. It's not the law that makes us right. It's not our obedience that makes us right. It's not our actions that make us right. He says it is faith in Jesus that makes us right. And that puts every single one of us on the same level that we're all broken, in need of a Savior, and our only hope is found in Jesus. And that is the good news. Paul's goal through this book is to clarify that gospel, that good news. The good news is that I'm not bound. I'm not bound by the sin that I do, I'm not bound by my mistakes. You're not bound. Sin has no hold on me. Why? Because I've done something to deserve it, because I've earned it somehow. No, because of what Jesus has done for me. What a wretched man I am, he says. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. You remember what Paul said just one chapter ago? Listen to this beautiful statement that Paul says. Back in chapter 6, he says, For sin no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are no longer under the law, but under grace. He says, You're not bound if you're in Jesus, because you have hope. Right now, I want to dismiss our servers, if you're going to be helping out with communion, once you go back to the back, and and I want to read for you the words of Jesus. In John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36, this is this beautiful passage where Jesus talks about the hope that he brings. He says, Very truly, I tell everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever so if the son sets you free you are free indeed he says look if you're if you're trapped by sin then you're a slave to it you're not part of the family he says but if you are in the son you are a son or daughter you belong And he says that if I set you free, you are free indeed. That's this this beautiful picture that Paul has. This beautiful thing that, that Jesus tells us. That if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. You can experience freedom Today. Maybe like David did, you need to cry out to God. Make me whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart. Maybe you don't know who Jesus is. You've never experienced what it means to really have a relationship with him. Man, we would love to talk to you about what that looks like. You can come up and see me after service. We'll have prayer team members that will be down front. You can mark it on your connection card and we will contact you. But if you want to know the freedom that comes through a life in Jesus. If you're trying to do this on your own. You're trying to earn it. Trying to see if you can deserve it. We all come up short. It's only through Jesus. You see I'm a cheater. And I'm a liar. And I'm a slave to the sin of my life. But through the power of Jesus I'm not bound anymore would you pray with me dear father we thank you so much for your son Jesus and for the salvation that he brings for the freedom that he brings God for the hope that he brings each and every one of us God are a mess on our own and we desperately need you but the good news is is found in what your son did for us. And God, we are so thankful for Jesus who makes us right, who makes us whole, who makes us sons and daughters, who make us family. Thank you, God, for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.